believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. In this background, after the initial attack by Jonathan, things go back to stalemate. There are Philistine raiders going throughout the land, plundering people in three different companies. The Philistines have weapons, but the Israelites have no weapons except for Jonathan and his father, Saul. And that's our background where it says the last verse of chapter 13, that the the garrison of the Philistines was in Mishmash, which is north of Jerusalem, slightly toward the east. And so it's right there in the heart of the promised land. This Philistine garrison just saying, like, the people who serve Dagon the fish god are just, like, over Israel. And it's not good and it's not acceptable for people of faith. That's our background as we pick it up in chapter 14, verse 1. Now, it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahazah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side, and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name one of one was Bozaz, and the name of the other, Sena. The front of one faced northward opposite Mishmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised Philistines, and it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, Come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they had hidden. And then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan his armor bearer. And they said, Come up to us and we will show you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them to the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within half an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp in the field and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled. And the earthquake, so that it was a very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away. And they went here and there. And then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who's gone out from us. 
And when they called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and the armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Asijah, bring the ark of God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest, the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. And then Saul and the people who were with him assembled, and they went to battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was a very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. Now the rest of the chapter is where they go after the guys and wipe them out, and Saul makes the hasty vow, and Jonathan eats the honey, and all that happens. And, but when it's all said and done, they have a great victory, and... The summary of Saul's reign with the Philistines is that there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul's life. So this war was going to go on and on and on. Just like in some of our lives, we feel like we've been fighting the same evil forces against us for 60 years since we were born. And the war just keeps going on because it's a spiritual battle. It existed before I was born. It'll exist after I step into eternity. It's an eternal battle that we're a part of when we serve Jesus Christ. And others fought it before us. We enter into the battle, and then we leave the battle, and it's left behind for the generations behind us that live for Jesus and love Jesus to fight the good fight, to fight the good fight, to finish the race, and to keep the faith. It's just the way it is. It's a fierce battle, and it never goes away. The spiritual battles that the church must fight in every generation to represent Christ, the freedom of the gospel to be preached, the freedom of the church to gather, the authority of God's word over all matters of the human experience, of moral right and wrong and conduct and the freedom to preach that gospel message is the highest law in the universe. It's a battle that the church fights in every generation and we fight on our knees and we fight with the word of God and we fight it by faith. So in this background, we come back to the beginning of the story because before there's a great victory, there has to be great faith. Before the entire army joins the battle for a victory, before those who are working for the Philistines switch sides and serve the people of Israel and join the battle, there just has to be one woman, one man, a couple women, a couple men who will stand up and do what's right, who will show the example of faith, who will take the steps of faith, who will be decisive in their decisions, and they will make things happen. And in every generation, there are very few. There are very few people, truly, who will take adventures in faith, and really go for it. And change the world. Change the world so that the God of the universe of a trillion galaxies causes the earth to quake. Causes the raiders to quake. Causes everyone to quake. Because he's looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. But it takes women. It takes men, young and old, who are decisive and firm in their convictions to step out in faith and make things happen and break the stalemate of ambiguity and neutrality with evil. The cross and the empty tomb is never about a tie, and it's certainly not about a surrender. The cross and the empty tomb is absolute victory with Jesus, the right hand of the Father, 
for everything pertaining to life and godliness that is entrusted to the church of Jesus Christ and the keys of this kingdom here and now, this day, from here to eternity. So we're reminded tonight about how important it is to be willing to take steps of faith, to get out of our comfort zone, to go for it, to make things happen. And in this chapter, what we read, we saw unity between Jonathan and his armor bearer. They're on the same page. We saw the point of contact where they go out in faith and then what they actually were stepping into, they had action. They, they had hand-to-hand combat. They were soldiers. You can train all you want as a Navy SEAL or an elite military person, and your training shows itself when you get into battle, but there comes a point, all that training is proven. You are in hand-to-hand combat. Or if you're a fireman and you trained for major fires and all this stuff, and then you're fighting a major fire and you're a hot shot out there in Arizona, there comes a point when this is the real deal and what you train for. That's the way life works, right? That's just the way it is. And so they had the point of contact, and then the latter part of the chapter, we see the results. Again, where there's a great victory, everyone joins into the battle, but it was all led by two people. In fact, it says, now it happened one day. That's a very unique phrase. I like that phrase, huh? It just so happened one day. That's how it works. It just happens one day that you give your resignation and you step out in faith to the next thing he has for you. It just happens one day when you break off that relationship with that toxic person. It just happens one day when you commit to go to that college and it's going to put in motion the rest of your life. It just happens one day you get in the car and you drive 3,000 miles to plant a church not knowing anybody or what you're doing. It just happens. One day, it happened one day. And for people, for women and men of faith, since we're called to live by faith, we walk by faith, we're saved by faith, we're justified by faith, without faith it's impossible to please God, we, we have days where that happens that one day where the faith is shown and you put in motion your faith. And people might go like, wow, this is where it all began. It happened one day that Jonathan and his armor bearer did this, but it really goes back to the previous chapter. Because the previous chapter is the prequel, when Jonathan went out and started the war in the first place. You need people like that. The world needs, the church needs women and men like this, who they just have a a resume of acts of faith and conviction and courage and character. And they're not afraid of conflict. And they're not afraid to take risks in Jesus' name to love and to serve and advance the kingdom. And the people that are world changers for the gospel in eternity that will be in great glory when we get there, they have a resume of faith. It's what they have. You don't just wake up one day like, oh, this is it. But really, it's like it's baby steps. And like Jesus says, to her who has, more will be given. To him who has, more will be given. And when we show ourselves available and willing to take steps of faith, he gives us more. In fact, we'll look at Peter. If you walk on water, you just might be under tongues of fire later on. And even if you fall and sink in the water, you still walked on water. And you'll learn from that. And when the tongues of fire and you're on the day of Pentecost, you're bringing the A game to planet Earth, and nothing will ever be the same. So this is a great story about today is the day. Today is the day of faith. Today is the day that Jonathan wakes up and says, enough is enough. Status quo, my dad's sitting under that pomegranate tree. Today, just like he did yesterday. And by the way, when David comes on the scene to take on Goliath, what is the same thing? Where's Saul? Doing the same thing day after day after day. Nothing. He's indecisive. You know, so many people never make a decision. 
They think about this. You can walk them through why this is a great plan, why you should go for this. It's a sure bet. And, and they'll agree, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I have to take the next step, they just, they just can't do it. A lot of businesses fail because of paralysis by analysis. I learned in the 80s when I was surfing Pipeline, when I bring friends from California that see Pipeline for the first time, this wonderful, incredible, treacherous wave, high risk, high reward. Uh, I tell guys, look, you need to look at it and know where you paddle out, what boards you're going to ride, where you're going to sit and who to stay out of their way and what you're going to line up with, this palm tree, that pine tree, whatever. But don't look too long. You look too long, you'll talk yourself out of it. There comes a point where you have to what? you got to paddle out. And once you paddle out, you got to catch a wave within 20 minutes, no matter what. Because you surf pipeline, don't catch a wave in 20 minutes, you're not going to catch a wave at all. you got to get after it. you got to make it happen. you got to make decisions. I'm going to paddle out. And I'm going to get this wave that this boogie boarder didn't get or whatever. I'm going to get this little shoulder over here. But you got to get busy and get going. And we learn this in life. And we don't want to be the people, especially in Jesus' name, who are frozen by unbelief, paralysis by analysis, that we overthink things and we talk ourselves out of them because we can't fully compartmentalize it. My famous statement that I make to all people about to get married is you'll never have enough money to get married. Not particularly profound and certainly true. You'll never have enough money to have children. That's a fact. And you'll never have enough money to take a step of faith for full commitment in ministry. And that's a fact too. So, you should just do what me and Jennifer did early on, determining to do all three, because that's what a life of faith is. If you're waiting for the weather to be right, it's never going to be right. Even Solomon said that in the book of Ecclesiastes. Don't get up in the morning and say, like, oh, the wind's blowing the wrong way, the clouds are in the wrong spot, I'm not going to do anything. He said, no, get up and cast your bread upon many waters. If you're waiting to sow for the right conditions to sow, you'll never sow. So sow in the good conditions and the bad conditions, but sow because the, amount, the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Right. So in this text, Jonathan gets it going and gets it done. Verse 1, he says, he says, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. He's a man with vision, a clear objective, and a firm decision. Let me say that again. He's a man with a clear vision, a clear objective, and a decisiveness to get it done, to be decisive. And he's going to go for it. It happened one day. He just said, enough is enough. This is no longer acceptable. Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that's on the other side. Let's Take the initiative. Let's make the decision. Let's put in motion. Let's get action and energy working on this. Let's put feet to our faith and make it happen. And that's what he did. (laughs) You know, in the last few months, we've seen on TV the Bitcoin commercial or crypto commercial with Matt Damon where it says, fortune favors the brave. The first time I saw that commercial, like he's looking at Columbus, you know, like in the museum and these things. It's like, and and then the moon. I was like, and fortune favors the brave. Like, well, what is this? It's cryptocurrency. Well, if fortune favors a brave for crypto, how much more for the disciples of Jesus Christ? Yes and amen. Because I don't always know what's going to happen with real estate, crypto, precious metals, ETFs, or mutual funds. But I do know what's going to always happen with your faith. It will never fail. 
and God will always honor it. And fortune does favor the brave who look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith, and they get out of the boat and they go for it. I wonder, speaking of which, when Peter walked on water, he got out of the boat. I mean, he had to put, he had to, he had to put aside his, the, the limits of his human intellect as he understood them in time, space, and matter. And Jesus is walking on water, and Peter says, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And Peter, Jesus is like, all right, come to me. And in that moment, he had to let go of time, space, and matter and the limitations that he knew in his world from going to synagogues on the Shabbat. And all he had to do was look unto Jesus, who is the author of his faith, and believe Jesus in the invitation to come walk on the water. That's all he had to do. And that guy got out of the boat. And he defied the physics of the universe of trillions of galaxies. Peter, a man just like us, walked on water. He walked on water. He literally walked on water because he's looking into Jesus. And he sank when he took his eyes off Jesus, which is very metaphoric of what happens in our lives. But he walked on water. And I thought about this. What did the other 11 apostles think? You could have humor with this. Judas maybe thought we should charge people to do this. Right? Judas was always about the money. It's always about the money. I got a business model here. We all walk on water on the Sea of Galilee. Thomas is like, did he really walk on water? Right? The personalities of the men that Jesus surrounded himself with, they did change the world. So often in life when Jesus calls you, woman of God, and you, man of God, to walk on water, and he's called me to do it many times, metaphorically, and my wife, he's not looking at someone else in the boat. He's looking at you. And you can't say, what about these other 11? Because it doesn't matter. When he's looking at you and says, walk on water, you get out of the boat and you walk on water. I think now more than ever, we need women and men who just simply in Jesus' name will fully go for it. We've been stripped of so many distractions and so many false confidences in the last few years. The path is wide that leads to destruction, and it's narrow that leads to life. We know that. Jesus said so. So how much more narrow is the path of those who, in the path of life, are willing to take risk and really go for it? Really, truly go for it. To take risk in your personal life, to take risk with your resources, to take risk in ministry. I was on Instagram today. Our good friend, Corey Kilgus, who's down there in Peru, he's, he's on here. There's my list. Who are you, Corey? Let's see here. Africa, Asia, Australia, Europe, Middle East, Russia, former Latin America, Kilgust, Peru, Trujillo, Peru. Corey Kilgust, I met him about eight years ago in Chile. I was at Raul Reese's Bible College there in Santiago. It's really a house. I was with Ricky and Myra. And uh, the, Corey was there with his wife. They didn't have any kids at the time. And he was kind of like, you know, he came from uh, up by Fort Bragg, Northern California. And, it's like he was a former drug kind of guy and partier and troublemaker and got saved and was just all in with Jesus. And he was down there and he's telling me, yeah, I, you know, we're going to learn Spanish and we're going to, we want to plant a church in Antofagasta, Chile, because that's one of the bigger cities that doesn't have a Calvary Chapel down there in Chile. 
And I was like, wow, and I talked to him for about an hour, maybe longer. I really, I really enjoyed this guy. I was like, this guy's a go-getter. Like, this guy's not messing around. He's, he's got the hustle on right here. And his wife's like, yeah, we're going to do it. You know, and like, you know, we're going to be in the mission field. We've got to go home and raise funds and that kind of a thing. And like, oh, buena suerte. You know, like, good luck. Go for it. Dale, dale. Right? So I didn't see him. And then about a year later, I hear that they're in, uh, in Peru, and they're in this dusty town at the foot of the Andes. Really poor town. I saw pictures of it. Very, very poor. And they were doing ministry, and they did for a couple years. And I got his little newsletter updates, his little blogs, and I really appreciate it. And then eventually they ended up in Trujillo, and he had a vision to buy this building, to do a Bible college, and do all these things. And he did it. During COVID, Peru had severe lockdowns. They fed people. They, we supported them. We did a lot of stuff. Sam's my witness. We did a lot for Corey during COVID. Then Corey got really sick last year. They thought he had cancer. He came back to the States. He went to Louisiana on sabbatical for about three months. Many of you have gotten his newsletter, so you know. And then he went back to Peru. So he's back in Peru. And he posted a photo today with about 25 young people. This guy thought he was dying five months ago when he came back to the States. Okay, like, we know what cancer's like. We know what cancer's like. This guy thought he was dying, and he was so sick he couldn't stay in the mission field. And he came back to Louisiana, and it turns out it wasn't as bad as they thought it was. And he's back, and today, or maybe yesterday, he's with 25 young people graduating the Bible college that he had the vision for years ago when I sat and talk with him, having dinner in Santiago 10 years ago at Raw Reese's house in Santiago. Yes, WG, fortune favors the brave, but I tell you, you must take risk to know those kind of rewards. Because Corey and his wife took a lot of risk to do what they did. It doesn't happen overnight where you have 25, you convince 25 young people to commit their lives to studying and seeking and being discipled in the Lord. 25 young people to stand there with a certificate saying, we completed this part of our life and we're ready for whatever God has next. Yeah, Matt Damon, fortune does favor the brave, but much more so than cryptocurrency. In Jesus' name, for world changers. Come, let us go over to those sharp rocks. Let's go over to that garrison. Let's go over right there. Let's take the battle right to them. Let's go right to the gates of hell and let them know Jesus is coming. Let's go. Let's get out of our comfort zone. What about your dad? What about my dad? Forget about my dad. What's he doing? The same thing today he did yesterday. He's sitting in a pomegranate tree doing nothing. Strategizing about how he's going to change the world and he can't get off his duff and get anything done. It says he's sitting Saul's sitting doing nothing for the kingdom. And Jonathan's like, hey, you and me, let's go, bro. Let's make it happen. That's who we want to be in Jesus' name. Because when you breathe your last and that's our life, we're going to feel pretty good about it. It's just game's over. We're in eternity. I don't, I don't want to be sitting there thinking, I didn't go for it, neither do you. And by the way, in all that I've ever done, with Jesus and gone for it. And many testimonies of you in this room. I think of Jennifer and Frank. You guys going to Turkey recently. Buck going to Egypt. His son. Jennifer, Afghanistan on your own. Jennifer, who goes to Afghanistan on their own? I still, I still can't wrap my mind around that one. And the pictures from Martania. See, fortune favors the brave. In Jesus' name. Because the cross, the empty tomb, 
the tongues of fire and the right hand of the Father, they make us brave. Braver than a lion that roars. That's what it's meant to do. We also see in verse 6 the key to Jonathan's whole worldview. Because worldview is everything. How you frame things is everything. Pastor Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, the great pastor, said this. You either have a little God with big problems or a big God with little problems. And depending on how you see things, that's how you're going to live your life. But the Bible tells us these light afflictions are not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that's to come. So we know that we serve a big God, and though our problems might seem magnified in our mind, even Paul said that he was perplexed beyond death with his problems in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, then he just said their light afflictions are not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that's to come. It says in verse 6, he said, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised Philistines. It may be, so he says it again, of course, double emphasis. It may be, here's the key phrase, it may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. It may be, like, it, it may be. Faith is just that. It's the substance that things hope for, the evidence not yet seen. If we can control it and manipulate the outcome, it doesn't involve faith. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.